This evening we'll be reading from both the Belgic Confession and the Gospel of Matthew. So in your Psalter hymnals, if you flip towards the back, you're going to see the Belgic Confession. And whoever gets to the page first can shout it out. Ooh, someone already has it. What was it? 826. So Gray Psalter, page 826, 826. We're looking at Article 10, which is on the deity of Christ. So we're going to, um, I'm going to read the Belgian Confession, Article 10 first, and then we're going to flip over to the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 16. So we're going to start with the Belgian Confession. We believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only Son of God, eternally begotten not made nor created, for then he would be a creature. He is one in essence with the Father, co-eternal, the exact image of the person of the Father and the reflection of his glory, being in all things like him. He is the Son of God, not only from the time he assumed our nature, but from all eternity, as the following testimonies teach us when they are taken together. Moses says that God created the world. And John says that all things were created by the word, which he calls God. The apostle says that God made the world by his son. He also says that God created all things by Jesus Christ. And so it must follow that he who is called God, the word, the son, and Jesus Christ already existed when all things were created by him. Therefore, the prophet Micah says that his origin is from ancient times, from eternity. And the apostle says that he is neither beginning of days nor end of life. So then, he is the true eternal God, the Almighty, whom we invoke, worship, and serve. So that's our confessional reading, and then going to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, starting at verse 13 and reading through verse 20. And if your pew Bible looks like mine, it's page 1524. So a reading from Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, starting at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my, by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're kind of diving right into the middle of Matthew's Gospel. We've mainly been tracking with the Belgic Confession. Last week, Pastor Carl took us through the previous two articles that focused on the Trinity. And now we're starting to get into persons of the Trinity, the first one that we look at being Jesus Christ. So we're a bit more familiar with the context for Article 10. But where we kind of just like parachute into Gospel of Matthew, a whole lot of stuff has already happened. By the time we get here in chapter 16, Jesus has already performed several miracles. He's ruffled the feathers of the Pharisees more than once with his teachings. He's walked on water. He's fed thousands on two different occasions, preached the powerful Sermon on the Mount, called a bunch of followers to be fishers of men instead of bass and trout. He's healed hundreds, driven out demons, impressed, frustrated, amazed, angered, all those who listen to him. Some all at the same time. Here, in the midst of all of that, we get Jesus taking his disciples for a quiet moment together. Taking them away from all of that noise, all of that action, and pulling away to have a conversation. And what Jesus is wondering by having this conversation is if they really know him. Or if they follow him like the crowds do, for potential healing, for entertainment, for all the benefits that come with following Jesus materially. Healings are a good show. Do they know him? And the conversation begins like any other conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Jesus poses a question, he kind of lets them flounder a little bit, and then he redirects the question again. So he asked the question, who do people say the Son of Man is? The disciples tell him what they've heard from others or what they learned at synagogue. Some say the Son of Man was Elijah, or it will be the second coming of Elijah. Others teach that the Son of Man is Jeremiah, or they'll kind of be like Jeremiah, kind of gloomy and prophetic as we have learned this entire summer in the morning service. Or there's other schools of thought that some say some other prophets. And there's a new school of thinking that it's probably John the Baptist, he's probably the son of man, but then he was recently beheaded, so probably not. The disciples relate to Jesus what others say about who the son of man is. It's an accurate account of several different working theories several different schools and theologies of thought. But then he narrows the question. What about you? Who do you say I am? Jesus not only narrows the question, but he redirects it. Not from what others think or say or teach, but he redirects it right to the heart of his disciples. Who do you say I am? Who do you think I am? Who am I 
to you. And it goes from a place of theoretical theology and it goes right to a place of devotion and relationship. Do you know me? Who am I to you? And I have to wonder, sitting with that story, I have to wonder if there was a pause. If the seconds ticked by just a little too long with that question hanging in the air. Who do you say I am? Because there's more on the line. It's a more risky answer to answer that one than to talk about what tons of other people think or say or believe. This is personal. Who do you say I am? And then Peter speaks up with an answer, with the answer. Who are you? Who are you to me? You are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Given all that Peter has witnessed about Jesus, all that he has learned and loved following this man, Peter knew he was more than just what he saw. More than just a teacher, more than just his friend and rabbi, he was the Messiah, the Christ, the very Son of God. The Belgic Confession asks and answers the same question posed here by Jesus to his disciples. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And Guido de Bray, the author of the Belgian Confession, unpacks, with a few more words, <laughs> Peter's confession of faith, which is pretty succinct here in the Gospel of Matthew. De Bray starts Article 10 with a conviction that Jesus is more than just a man or a prophet. That we believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only Son of God, eternally begotten, not made, or created. As we saw last week with Pastor Carl's unpacking of the confession on the Trinity, the triune nature of God is both mysterious and absolutely essential <laughs> to our life of faith. Not least because it has to make sense of the person of Jesus Christ revealed in Scripture. Debray roots this section, as he does in every section, but roots this section on the divinity of Jesus right in Scripture. He favors the letter to the Hebrews, which pops up a number of times. He uses the prophet Micah, Paul's letter to the Colossians, and then John's gospel, which he pairs with Genesis. And he layers this very complex layer of scriptural witness about who Jesus is. How can it be that in Genesis, we're told God created the world, but then in John's gospel, we're told that all things were created through the word, which he calls God as well. 
And then the apostle says in one place that God created all things through his son. And then the same apostle says in another place that God created all things through Jesus Christ. Just layers scripture on scripture demonstrating the traditional Christian faith view that Jesus is human and divine. And there's no getting around it. Scriptural witness bears witness to both of these pieces of who God is or who Jesus is. And so Debray concludes, well, it must follow that the one who is called God, the Word, the Son, and Jesus Christ already existed before creating all things. Therefore, the prophet Micah says that Christ's origin is from ancient days. And the apostle says that the Son has neither beginning of days nor end of life. So how does the Belgian Confession answer Jesus' question posed to the disciples? Who do you say I am? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the true eternal God. Case closed. Logically follows from scriptural witness. But this answer, the answer, is a real stumbling block for many people. There are many outside of the Christian faith and inside the Christian faith who would much prefer if the answer to who do you say I am is simply that Jesus was a really, really, really good guy, a powerful teacher, an inspiring figure, a man, a great one, no doubt, but a man. In the early centuries of the church, when the creeds were being written and compiled, when, when faithful Christians were taking the whole witness of Scripture and trying to compile them into faith statements, that this, this is what it means to be a Christian, this is the content of Christian faith, there were a whole lot of different views on the answer to who is Jesus. And a lot of it boiled down to this difficult Jesus is God part. There's a group arguing around the times that the creeds were being compiled. There's a group arguing that Jesus was a good guy, perhaps the best guy, but not God. Because God doesn't die. Jesus died. God can't die. And so God must have adopted Jesus, the man Jesus, put his spirit on him, but then abandoned him on the cross for him to die. So God just adopted Jesus. Really good guy, the best guy, that's why God chose him, but not God. And then there were others who couldn't agree with the fact that Jesus was fully human and fully God. That did not make sense to them. What did make sense to them is that God or Jesus had to be some kind of third creature, third thing. So if you mix humanity and divinity together, you don't get both, you don't get either, you get a tertium quid, which is Latin for the third thing, which I love. Jesus is the tertium quid, which kind of sounds like the beginning of a monster movie. Tertium quid, third thing. Jesus was humanity, divinity mixed up into something else, which makes him feel very alien. And then fast forwarding a couple of millennia, the questions and the answers haven't gotten any much easier or well understood. Folks still wrestle with the God part of this equation. 
with the answer to who is Jesus. Thomas Jefferson famously cut out all the parts of scripture that he didn't like, which were all the parts that referenced Jesus as God. All the supernatural bits, the resurrection bits, the miracle bits, the healing bits, all of it gone. He just really liked the man's teaching. Sermon on the Mount, with a few exclusions, could stand. I'm okay with that. He kept the man Jesus that he liked got rid of all the God stuff. Philip Pullman, who's a contemporary author, uh, he wrote the Golden Compass books, which you may have heard about. He's kind of portrayed as the anti-C.S. Lewis. <laughs> he published a retelling a few years ago of the Gospels, which he titled, The Good Man Jesus and the Scoundrel Christ. And in Pullman's retelling of the Gospels, Mary gave birth to two boys, Jesus and Christ. And Jesus was a popular guy. He grew up to be a strong rabble-rouser, someone that you're really just drawn to, charismatic, but nothing supernatural. He was a good man. And then Christ, his brother, was a sickly tattletale who could do miracles, but no one liked him because he was a bit of too much of a goody-two-shoes. And then in Philip, Philip Pullman's retelling of the Gospels, the irony of history, the tragedy of history, is that these two got conflated. These two brothers into one person, Jesus Christ. And they got conflated by a corrupt religious establishment, the church, the church, then you can hear me in the mic. And the strong, good man Jesus got all confused with that pious, miracle-working goody-two-shoes and we're all the poorer for it. Good man Jesus, the human, we like him. Add the God part, and then we're not too sure. And then, personally speaking, there's the barista at Starbucks, who, upon learning that you're a minister, shares with you, while you order your chai latte, that she likes Jesus, she likes what he taught. She remembers a bit from Sunday school, though she doesn't go to church anymore. She tries to love other people, tries to be kind. She really, you know, the golden rule. She follows that. But she doesn't buy into the whole religious side of it. She's not going to worship Jesus because she doesn't believe in God. But she's certainly inspired by the guy. So if you think this kind of Jesus is good man but not God kind of thinking is for those outside of the Christian faith, right? For the Thomas Jeffersons and the Philip Pullmans and the barista at Starbucks, very chatty barista at Starbucks, you'd unfortunately be wrong. In the past few decades, building off the past century of work in theological scholarship, a whole lot of energy, study, argument, and theological work has been done in the quest for the historical Jesus, which is a bunch of theologians trying to separate out what they can discern about the historical Jesus, the man who actually lived and died on a cross, probably wasn't resurrected, and then the Christ of faith, the Christ of faith that the church teaches and preaches the Christ of faith that the Gospels built up into something more than a good man. 
And their whole theological effort and quest was to get back to that historical Jesus, picking through the pieces and trying to have some kind of portrait of the Jesus who actually walked the earth as a man before this whole Christ of faith stuff got built onto him, before the church kind of took it up. Those are theologians emphasizing the good man Jesus over and against the Jesus Christ presented to us in scripture, in the gospels, in the epistles. Who do you say I am? Seems like a pretty simple question to us. But there are a whole lot of wrong answers possible. And I will admit that there is difficulty here trying to wrap your head around the fact that in Jesus Christ we see God in human form, I don't think for those of us who've grown up in the church, we understand how weird that statement is, how odd that is, how challenging that is. That the one through whom all things were created, who was begotten and not made eternal, divine, was also walking and teaching and eating and sweating and loving in flesh and blood just like us. Whether you're inside the Christian faith or outside the Christian faith, it can be overwhelming and a little difficult for folks to believe. Just ask the Starbucks barista. It would be a whole lot easier if he was just a good man. You might have more people sitting in churches if Jesus was just a good man with a really strong and courageous teaching. In Matthew's Gospel, in this snippet of a story in chapter 16, Jesus affirms Peter's answer, affirms this confession of faith. But do you notice what Jesus says right after that affirmation, right after he says, you are blessed? Jesus says that Peter's insight, his statement, his confession, his right answer was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This confession of faith was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. There's no amount of human reasoning or rational argument that got Peter to his answer. It was living in relationship with Jesus, and it was a gift of faith from the Father about his son. And it is an answer, it is a confession, a gift that makes all the difference in the world and in our lives. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn this world, but to save the world through him. If Jesus was just a good guy, maybe the greatest guy to walk the earth, 
inspiring millions still with his words and teaching, we'd be lost. Our hope would be gone. And there'd be no reason for us to gather here. There'd be no one to worship. But in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, we have our Emmanuel, our God with us. Our God who came in flesh and blood to be with us. Our God who lived and loved and walked and healed and laughed and cried with us. Our God who died on a cross so that we might live in right relationship with his Father. And our God who rose again so that all may have life in his name. Who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? Do you know me? Who am I to you? With the Belgic Confession, with the Apostle Peter, with the full witness of Scripture and God's people everywhere and every time, we answer that Jesus is the true eternal God, the Almighty, whom we invoke, whom we worship, and whom we serve. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, you have given us the gift of faith, faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, our Savior. And we give you thanks for this gift. We give you thanks for your Son, whom you sent into this world, not to condemn it, but to save it. Father, we are thankful for this confession of faith, for this assurance that your Son is Emmanuel, God with us. And we bring before you, we hold before you those we love, those we know, who for them this is a stumbling block, who do not know your Son as their Lord and God. We bring before you all those that we love, asking for this gift of faith given to them so they may know your son fully, fully both as Savior and our God. It's in the strong name of Jesus, our Messiah, your son, that we pray. Amen.